Good morning. Good morning. My name's Dave Cushworth, for those that don't know me. Um, you, I normally sit at the back. You all look different when I look at you this way. <laughs> and I actually get to, I only know the people on this side of the congregation um, because there's a great chasm that cannot be crossed in the middle. And, uh, it's biblical, it's biblical, right? And so it's good to see the ones on this side. Um, during this period of reformation of the barn, we've been covering various aspects of a New Testament church, and that's going to continue as we redefine who we are and, and where we're going. And as part of that reformation, that redesign, we've been covering and talking a lot about spiritual warfare, the concept of spiritual warfare. So I want to um, continue today what uh, Ken Fish started last week. It's not everybody that gets Ken Fish as the opening band, you know, it's, uh, <laughs> or I'm the closing act, one of the two. So um, I want to continue with that and talk about practical sp- uh, spiritual warfare. I want to quickly cover the concept, a couple of scriptures here to just reinforce or refresh us on the concept of spiritual warfare. Uh, For me, the key verse is found in 2 Corinthians chapter 10 verse 4, where it says, though we live in this world, we do not wage war as the world does. Paul here introduces that there's a concept of war going on, but not in the earthly sense. If it's not in the earthly sense, it's got to be within the spiritual sense. So, and in his other writings, he talks about principalities and, and powers, uh, wickedness in high places, and, and, and the, the, the warfare that we are engaged in. And so, he said, we do not fight, wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of this world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. So I put a few verses, common verses up here, uh, just for your reference, 1 John 3, 8. For this reason the Son of Man came, that he might destroy the works of the evil one. Our enemy in this warfare is the devil and his angels, his fallen angels, his demons. Their works have been destroyed. Not going to be. The reason Jesus came was to destroy the works of the evil one. Um, we've been rescued from the dominion of darkness, Colossians 1.13, and brought into the kingdom of light. Colossians 2.15, Jesus triumphed and disarmed powers and authorities at the cross. He beat the devil at the cross. Romans 8.34, who condemns? We, We are not under condemnation anymore. Jesus is the one that intercedes for us. We are more than conquerors through him, Romans 8.37. Revelation 12.7, the devil and his angels have been thrown out of heaven. And Ephesians 2.6, we are seated in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. Jesus is far seated, was raised from the dead, and Ephesians tells us he's been seated far above all principalities and powers, authorities and, and, and rulers, uh, and every name that can be named, not only in this age, but in the age to come. And we are seated with him. We're sitting on the throne far above it all, and he's being given authority as the head over his body, the church, the ecclesia. 
So we are in already in a position of power and authority as we enter into this conflict. So we come in at when the warfare we come at from a victor's perspective. The victory has been assured. So when we walk and we go about in our daily lives, coming into conflict with the enemy, thank you, coming and bringing forth the authority of God, we do it not as ones who have to seek to establish ourselves, but as one who has already been established under the constitution of heaven. Jesus is the victor and we walk in that victory. Our task is, to bring it, is just to bring it into reality in the world around us. Right. Amen? Oh, at least I got one amen. All right. Okay. So. Oh, went a little. Man, this thing's... Here we go. Thank you. The problem is, is that in Christianity, and certainly in charismatic Christianity... But in Christianity, in Western Christianity, we tend to overanalyze and overthink everything. Acts 17.28, Paul said to the Athenians, who were the real thinkers and analyzers? Boy, could they analyze. There he is at the Areopagus, and he says, in him we live and we move and then we have our being. Simple statement, Christianity and the living out of who we are and our authority and our life is simple as breathing. It's not complicated. We just do it. We don't have to analyze it. When we breathe, we we don't even think about breathing. We just do it naturally. We don't think, there comes... Got the, they've got the oxygen, it's in my lungs, it's now going into my blood, it's now circulating, it's, oh, there goes the carbon monoxide, dioxide, whatever it is going out. <gasps> Time to take another breath. We don't do that. Well, sometimes you do when you've been working out and you go, <gasps> but it's natural. It's the most natural thing is to breathe. Living out Christianity should be the most natural thing. The terms of the new covenant are are these. He said, no longer will a a man teach his neighbor saying, know the Lord, the terms of the old covenant, but I will write my laws on their hearts and they shall know me. It becomes, the, the terms of the new covenant is God's requirements and God's character and everything we need to know. He writes on our hearts and we just live it out. My daughter lives in Trap, Maryland. And a couple of years ago, they were looking for a church, and she went to a Bible church. Now, the Bible church people are great evangelicals. The main theology comes out of Dallas Theological Seminary, and they're very evangelical, very conservative. But the one thing they don't believe in is the holy, gifts of the Holy Spirit, the, the charismatic, the, 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 the whole idea that there is this spiritual conflict, the, the, the spiritual realm that you have to deal with. And so she was in this church. My daughter was raised good Methodist charismatic, so, you know, she's got good foundations. And, uh, and there, there were some other, you know, younger women there, and they were meeting together, 
And, and, and people just naturally know. They, they, they get saved, they read the Bible, they see stuff in there, they ask questions. Because it sort of makes sense and you ask questions and the subject of demons came up. And then the, the, the young lady said, well, you know, what about demons? And my daughter said, my daughter was already, oh yeah, let me tell you about them. Well, she was born in Africa, you know, she knows all this stuff. And, and, and immediately the pastor shut it down. We don't believe in them. We don't talk about that. And, and there was a, a it, in the next of the problem, it takes more faith. You have to be untaught what God's written on your heart, is what I'm trying to say. We have to learn not to believe. Christianity in its natural element is we believe. It's, it just is, Right? But we have to be specifically taught not to believe. It takes more faith not to believe than it does to believe in certain elements. And that happened in this one. But natural as breathing. So, let me give you a couple of examples. I'm part of a ministry. and We have a ministry in, mainly in Africa. Well, our guys out there, they're very big on evangelism. And they go out and do regular crusades. They're very simple. They get this big tent and they go set it up on the older crusade. And what usually happens is um, the tent is not, never big enough. So next time they go out, they rent a bigger tent and it's still not big enough. And so they go out and they do these crusades. Well, a couple of weeks ago, uh, the person that heads up uh, our ministry out there, a man named Benon, was doing a crusade. And a woman was brought into the crusade brought into the meeting, and she couldn't talk. She couldn't, she had trouble walking. She couldn't hear and she couldn't speak. Deaf, dumb, mute. And, and so she was in real bad shape. So Bernon, very simply, no one had to teach him to do it. No one had to teach him not to do it. He just prayed for her, exercised his authority, and said, be healed in the name of Jesus. Whereupon she then threw up. Now, a very common sign of a demon coming out or an sp- evil spirit letting go of someone is vomiting. Not all the time, but it's a very common sign. She threw up, she came back to the crusade the next day, walking, talking, hearing, everything. Totally healed. All, all Bernard did was bring God's solution to the problem. A couple of years ago, uh, my mother was alive and she was under hospice care, but it was within our home and it required 24-7 care. So during the night, me and my wife would do shifts on the couch. One would get four hours, one would do, get four hours sleep in bed, the other would get four hours partial sleep on the couch. I'm in the minister to my mother. So I did the first shift and around about two o'clock in the morning, my wife Lynn came down to relieve me and I went off to bed. Next morning, uh, she told me this story, that she was lying there, and all of a sudden she felt this demonic, evil presence in the house. And she, and, and, and she was scared. And she said, why am I scared of this thing? And what's it doing in my house anyway? Whereupon she got up and rebuked it, took it on, cast it out, and boom, it went. My mother was in very bad shape. After that 
After what Lynn did, my mother got better. Not only did she get better, she was out of bed and she was walking, and I'm going, hang on a minute. Five days ago, she was dying. We, were, we, were, we had the, the funeral home all lined up. Now she's up and walking around up and down the driveway outside like nothing wrong with her. Very simple. One of the places of, that you exercise authority is within your home. The home is the seat of God's authority. And if you don't, the one thing the, God, the devil wants to do is come in and upset your home, upset your family. Your job, my job, our job, is to exercise authority within our home. Talking of homes, when we first came to this country, um, we came from uh, what's now Zimbabwe and we went to Bible college, and we, all the money we had, we put down uh, to pay our tuition two years in advance. So that left us no money. So, uh, you know, we were that poor, you know, of $10 and you go to the supermarket with a calculator. Um, and because you had to factor the tax in as well. And so if you didn't quite make it, you put it back on the shelf, put something else. And as long as the calculator said you had enough money, you were okay. We got to the point that um, we had one, I think we had a can of beans, a packet of saltines, and a little bit of milk in the fridge. And that was about it. The fridge was empty. The cupboards were empty. And we said, you know what? God brought us to this place. And uh, based on what somebody else told us, we looked at that fridge and we said, in the name of Jesus, be full. Closed the fridge door. Two days later, fridge and the cupboards were overflowing with food. Supernatural food? The authority within us we exercised and we spoke to the fridge, we spoke to the fridge, and the closets were over, the, the food, we had more than enough food, and we had food to give away. Awesome. Yeah. Our job, our job is to bring order into the world. So whether it's the order of a crusade to, to cast a demon out, whether it's the order um, in our, to bring order into our homes, um, to bring order into our lives, and to bring order into our place of work. The God's put you in a specific place of work primarily to bring his order to it. I used to write, I still actually do write uh, software and, and do a little bit of coding. And quite often, I, the, somehow the logic of the, the computer coding didn't work out, you know, it, I, it wouldn't quite function, and um, I would be totally stumped. But I found that if I, I, I would address the computer, I said, you, in the name of Jesus, I command you to work. And I carry on doing it, and you know, all of a sudden it worked. I'm going, hang on a minute, what did I do there different? Nothing, but it was causing me chaos in my life. And I'm going, ooh, this works, eh? Well, I'm, I also do... I'm an accountant, and uh, many times in my life I've done some complicated accounting, uh, calculations, and I can't quite get the number. Guess what? I speak to you in the name of Jesus. Or if I'm working as a chief financial officer, 
at various places. I, I used to be the controller at United Way of Delaware, and we would face problems. I found that if there's a problem I'm facing in, in my secular work, and I'm supposed to provide the answer and I don't have it, I would speak to the problem. I would speak to the issue in the name of Jesus and exercise authority because God's put me in that position to manifest him, manifest him in that, that area. That, that's my area, given designated area. So I'll bring it in there. Um, a long time ago, we, we, we moved in. A friend of mine was the chaplain of a nursing home. And he said to me one Sunday, he said, look, I can't do the Sunday afternoon service at the nursing home. Would you please do it for me? I said, yeah, no problem. So me and my wife, we went over to the nursing home at 3 o'clock, all these lovely dear old ladies, and we were given, you know, pretty standard, you know, sermon. And then there's one little old lady at the back sitting mumbling to herself. And so I just ignored her. And as I'm ministering, as we're ministering and preaching the Word, she clearly goes, who can believe a fool like you? I got to admit, it sort of taught me. But right away, something inside me, I didn't really have to work at this. Instead of I said, I rebuke you in the name of Jesus, be silent. And she went, blah, 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 and then she was out of it for the rest of the service. Naturally expressing, naturally living out what God has put inside of us. Not working on man's theology or the, the, the stuff I learned at Bible, the, the, the knowledge I learned at Bible school about reading books, but practically living out what God wanted to happen. That's where we're at, spiritual warfare. So, can you back that up one, please? Can you back that up? That's the one, yeah. What's spiritual warfare without Lord of the Rings, of course? Hmm? <laughs> exactly. Yeah. The Bible... Fifteen times in the, bar, in the New Testament, there's a specific word used in the Greek, and I cannot pronounce it. But it's you in the original Greek um, use of the language. It's a word of authority. It's, it's the term, it's the word that is used as when a nation declares war. It's an authoritative word. We when Congress declares war on a nation, that's an authoritative word. They are speaking, we are going to do this. That's the concept behind this word. And it's used when, specifically when Paul and Barnabas went off on their first mission to travel. And they went into the, Congre into the synagogue and they preached. In English it says preached. But they spoke this word of authority. And it has behind it the meaning of certainty. They are absolutely certain of what they're saying is of God. So when, you, when we proclaim the Word of God, when we bring uh, ourselves into a situation at work, there is a certainty that's behind it. So, Gandalf faces the Balrog. I don't quite think that it's like this cartoon where he said, uh, no, you don't do that. 
When you, you Balrog actually looked up in my Middle Earth reference book today. Right? It means a mighty demon, by the way. <laughs> um, that's not quite the picture we have, but unfortunately, that's so symptomatic of many Christians today that when we're faced with a problem or forces that rise up against us, we don't speak with certainty. We go, oh, no, no, no. No, we're supposed to say, no! We are supposed to speak with conviction and bring the word of authority. So, let's look at how it actually happens. Go back to the shadow! <laughs> I know we've got Lord of the Rings fans here, you know, but uh, <laughs> you know, there, there's a time and there is a need for us to act with certainty and speak. So when we're dealing with um, spiritual warfare, we, we need to have this understanding of this cosmos that we operate in. And now our our authority extends to every level of our lives. I'm going to tell you another story about my wife. Um, We have a little, I've got a little motto now called, if in doubt, cast it out. You know, it's, um, I'd I'd been on, I'd been to Africa. I just got back from Africa and uh, I told the first service I'd been on demon safari. You know, and uh, so I come back, I was all fired up for, for dealing with these fellows and uh, my wife spends a couple of days each week uh, looking after my grandkids and uh, one of them was in middle school and I'm sure that uh, those who work with middle school kids can definitely confirm middle school demons you know it's <laughs> so the, well, the one in middle school my wife called me she said what do I do with Maddie you know she's just giving me trouble Say, cast it out. You know, what do you just take, take authority over it and tell that lemon thing to be gone. So she did. <laughs> and she said, hey, that worked. She said, I did what you told me, and she was like butter in my hands afterwards. See, if in doubt, cast it out. So you get this picture of my wife now, right? Uh, you need to be careful around her because she'll cast something out. <laughs> Don't know what it is, but you better watch out. Huh? So, um, authority. Ken did a great job last week, especially during the workshop period of explaining uh, the meaning behind authority. And basically, it, it's found in the nature and character of Jesus Christ. In the, in the fact that he is the King of kings, the Lord of lords. He's seated far above all authority and rule, power and dominion. He's seated, all that all authority in heaven and earth has been given to him. That, that he is the Alpha and the Omega. He's the risen one. 
that, that he's the one who publicly made a, a, a public laughing stock of the devil and uh, his angels at the cross, uh, which found in him. He's the one who holds the whole universe together by the power of his word. Uh, and, and out of that, and we are, we are told that we are his body. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 22. And it is given the head of everything over the ecclesia, which is his body. That's us. I'm going to talk about ecclesia in a minute. But authority comes out of the legal situation. It's translated authority. It is especially used in terms of moral influence. Can be thought of in terms of jurisdiction or dominion over a certain right, realm, right, privilege, or ability. So we are his body. If we're his body, then we are seated in the heavenly realms with him. We are seated above all this with him because we're his body. But Galatians 2.20 says we're also his vessel. It says, I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live. But Christ lives in me, and the life that I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. We don't live for ourselves, we live for him. We are crucified, we are identified with him. So as the authority, as this power, as, as this jurisdiction and dominion flow out of him, it flows through us into the world around us. We don't, have, contrary to a common teaching today, we don't have to keep going back and filing a lawsuit in heaven every time we want to do something. There's a book going around called The Courts of Heaven. I know people in, some people in this church have read it, but the Constitution of Heaven says that Jesus has done it all. It's finished. We don't have to keep going back and, and, and telling God, file a, effectively filing a lawsuit to do what we've been commanded to do. It's wrong. It's based on a wrong premise. It's just there to confuse us. Christianity is simple. Just do it, like the Nike ad. It's as simple as that. We don't have to... It doesn't take much thinking. It takes action. The more we are one with him, the more his life and authority flows through us. So, it's all based on... Very central to this is this term ecclesia. And the, it, only an Englishman could take a word and mess it up. Oops, sorry. The Greek word ecclesia uh, in classical Greek was found, it comes from the time of ancient Athens, the home of democracy, when you would get citizens of the... the um, it wasn't just a city, it was a city-state. So the citizens of Athens, which could be about 40,000, 50,000 at a time, would come together as needed, and they would pass laws by common consent of everybody as to what was going, how they were going to be governed, what was going to be, oh, thank you, Bruce, what was go, how they were going to be governed, what was going to happen, what could not happen. They would appoint ambassadors, they would declare war, they, they would do what we delegate today to Congress. But there, the whole community, the whole qualified 
community came together and did that. It's out of that concept that Paul uses the term ecclesia. It's people coming together for a common purpose, passing uh, laws for their group as to what they're going to do, what they're not going to do, how they're going to act, what they're not going to do. Now, what makes that different from something like the Rotary Club or one of these other social organizations is the added dimension that when the Hebrew Scriptures were translated into the Greek, it's called the Septuagint, the word ecclesia was used to transfer the Hebrew word, and Dave McGuire can help me on this, kahal, Q-A-H-A-L, kahal? Yeah, kahal. And, and that means not... It's God individually summoning and inviting people to come to hear him. An invitation. Not a command for the old assembly or a particular group of elites to come, but that personal summoning an invitation to come together. So when you combine both aspects, um, William Barclay, who was professor of theology at Edinburgh University, tremendous theologian and tremendous at really explaining the meanings of the Greek, says this, uh, the ecclesia, including Carl, is a body of people not so much assembling because they have chosen to come together, but assembling because God has called them to himself, not so much to share their own thoughts and opinions, but assembling to listen to the voice of God. So, it's, we come together. Um, within this concept of ecclesia, there is an institutional authority. Matthew eighteen eighteen, Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. An alternate translation is whatever you permit or forbid. And where two or more are gathered in my name, then am I in the midst of them. And then in another scripture where, where two of you more agree on something touching earth, it shall be done for you in heaven. The passage, we come together, we, we're brought together, whether it's two or three of us, uh, to, to, God says, right, I want you and you, I want you to come together because I've got a job for you. And you need to hear what I want you to do. Or whether it's the barn, the body of the barn coming together on Sunday, and we've got a word for you. Every one of that fits on the ecclesia. And there's an institutional authority built within the ecclesia. So when we function and when we do something, we're doing it under, as part of the ecclesia of God. Then there's a general authority to the believer, Mark 16, verse 15 to 18, said, all authority is being given me. Go, you're going to cast out demons, you're going to baptize, you're going to heal the sick, you're going to handle the snakes, you're going to do all this good stuff. That's a general authority on the believer. We've been given authority to, to do stuff. We've been given the authority we need to handle situations in our life as they arise. Thirdly, specific authority for the task that you've been given. That was the sending out of the 72. So, let me, um, let's do this. Authority. Know your identity in Christ. Know your place in the ecclesia 
And the last one, you've got to act in faith. So I'm going to close with this example. Barrio of Death. Uh, 2001, we were, in, we were doing a ministry called Sidewalk Sunday School, a street outreach to kids, and we were doing it all around the world. And we got invited by Roberts Laird and ministers to go to Mindanao in the Philippines. There's the ecclesia coming together, coming together for a common purpose. And, and, and we did a training, and at the end of the training, we were going to do this outreach, and we hooked up with some assemblies of God missionaries that were doing the work out there, and, and we, met, we laid a plan. So the ecclesia's coming together. We've got the, this agreement. We didn't have to bind and loose and do anything like that. We just did it. Simple, right? The place we picked was the worst place in uh, Mindanao. It was known as the barrier of death because there were just dead bodies there so many times. Local Christian says, you can't go in there. Why not? That's the barrier of death. You get killed. I said, well, perfect place to go, right? So we went in, and the only place we could do this was in what they call it the town square. There's a road going through it, the basketball court during the daytime, houses all around it. So we went in there. We sealed off the town square, set up our truck, and packed the people in. And there must have been a thousand, we estimate anywhere from a thousand, twelve hundred kids in front of us. There's people in the balconies all around us. The, the guys hanging off the basketball court, and then the guys out on the street listed to our sound. So we reckon we had at least 2,000 there. Couldn't get any more in. And we went in and we, we did our program, presented the gospel, did an altar call, and 2,000 people got saved. Right? What happened? Very simple. There were three things. Number one, we had the institutional authority of the ecclesia at work because there were two or more of us that come together. We were in agreement. We said, this is what we're going to do. Um, this is what we're going to allow. When this is what we did that. As it was done on earth, done for you in heaven. There was the individual authority that was working with us in any way general, and then there was a specific authority for that time in that place at that moment to do what God had called us to do. That lot came together, and the rest is history. So, whatever it is God's called you to do in life, whether it's work, family, or something bigger, whether it's going to Belize, whether it's going to Africa, Whatever it is, God gives you the, has given you, not the authority to do it. All we need to do is put it to work. So, Jesus said, all authority on heaven and earth has been given to me, therefore, go. He could have stopped right there. We've been given authority, we've been given orders. Prayer ministry. The ecclesiastical authority, the ecclesia of the barn, the institutional authority of the barn has said, we are going to have a time of prayer. We're going to have prophecies over here. We're going to have healing over there, everything else in the middle. So there's an institutional authority established. We then have prayer members, prayer team, who have got, on, they've got the individual authority, the general authority to lay hands on the sick and be healed. But even more so, we got the specific authority for this time in this place to do this thing. Yeah. So all three areas of authority are functioning. 
It requires one more element. And Ken addressed this last week. It requires a response from people coming up. That as you come up, you have to believe that the authority is being given and you have to receive it. It's as simple as that. The problem we've got in America is question authority from the 60s and the 70s. Old hippies like Bruce and, you know, then, you know, those guys that were raised in the 60s and the 70s. Well, a couple of older guys over here, the Balkowitz for start off with, you know. Remember it? Question authority. It, it, unfortunately, that rolls over into the church. We hear this stuff, and it sounds good, and, and, and it, rings, it rings your bell, so to speak, because it's written on your heart. Trouble is, we've been trained to question authority in our society. Just accept it. Ken pointed out last week, he said, the reason healings happen overseas more than they do here is they don't question the authority. If the man of God said it, it must be so. So, we're going to close. Prophetic word over here. Healing over here. Everything else in the middle here. Let's pray. Lord, we just thank you um, that you've given us authority. We don't have to beg for it. We don't have to plead for it. We don't have to petition for it. You have just given it to us, and you require us just to make it happen. Lord, I just pray for everybody here today, Lord, that we, we would become the people that make it happen. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Yeah. Good word. One thing.